You're listening to the After The Show Movie Podcast from ascully.com. Your weekly look at movies, video games, and more brought to you by your hosts, A. Scully and Sitor. We're addicted to movies. Are you? Welcome to After The Show. Hello, Sitor. Welcome to you. Hello. How are you doing? I'm good. It's like we don't speak to each other at all all week. We only <laughs> Not check true. In. Because the before the after the show discussion was me just lecturing you about dust. Yeah, you were lecturing me. <laughs> yes. Stop lecturing me. Yeah, but oh my God, you, oh my God. Dust is like your nemesis. And I've told you, the universe is made of dust. I understand I that for a split second, for five minutes or maybe one day, Having taken your finger and ran it down the surface of the top of a picture will give you personal gratification. But I can guarantee you that as soon as your finger has slipped down from one end to the other, new cosmic dust is falling already. It is just the way of the universe. I enjoy a good dust. <laughs> you really do. I do. I like I a vacuum it. cleaner. My mother's a duster. It's not that I love having dust everywhere. I'm just saying you actually, I said, you feel like, it seems like sometimes you think that this time, this time when I dust that thing, it'll never get dusty again. Hopefully but, in the afterlife, there is no dust. If oh, there is such a thing. I hate to break it to you. Oh no. There's always dust and there is no afterlife. Spoilers. <laughs> I've just lost a bunch of listener people, but hey, if they don't know me, I don't believe in anything. So no afterlife. Cosmic dust rules the universe. And that is, that is it. That's all of life. It's Saturday, October the 1st. This is after the show number 756. And uh, we're going to try and keep October spooky month. Everything here will be either sci-fi or horror. Halloween, Halloween, Halloween. I love it. So in that theme, we're going to review the movie Nope. Today, it's a 2022 movie. It's on streaming now. You'll be able to pick it up on Blu-ray and 4K on October the 25th, just in time for Halloween. It's rated R. It's from our friends at Universal. Sid Talk, can you give us a synopsis of the movie? Nope. You know what I'm going to say, right? Nope. (laughs) I mean, there's many chances to use the nope joke. A brother and sister witness something crazy weird over the skies of their farm. All right. Turns out to be crazy and weird. And now they're going to try to capture it on film. I'll give you the one off the box. Hmm. The residents of a lonely gulch in inland California bear witness to an uncanny and chilling discovery. That's it. Oh, that's it. All right. Yeah. So mine's all right. Yeah. It's vague on purpose. Let us tell you up front here, we're going to discuss the movie Nope. If you haven't seen it, go and see it. Come back. Because how can we talk about this without spoiling it? Correct. Aside from, you know, even they give you a very vague introduction to it, so Correct. you don't know what it's about. You go away. You're back. You're all back. The movie Nope. What did you think, Sid Talk? I really enjoyed it. I mean, like, really enjoyed it. I had a good time. I'm always, if we're going to go ahead and say it's potentially alien situation, we don't know that. Even throughout the movie, we don't know. It could just be an Earth creature. Right? True. I love anything that alludes to 
an alien creature or something that just nobody knows anything about. And you're just a piddly little human trying to figure it out. I love that. And it looks gorgeous. Sounds good. All the stuff. I loved it. This is the new film by Jordan Peele. We've seen his other two movies. That would be Get Out and Us. I love Get Out, but I didn't love Us. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you were in the same camp. I don't know about love. I think I'd like them both. You'd have to listen to our reviews, I guess. We know, like, his style. We also watched his Twilight Zone remake that he did, the TV show, remember? Mm -hmm. That had Stephen Yun in it as well, didn't it? In one of them, from Walking Dead. Mm Mm-hmm. A mixed bag, I thought, The Twilight Zone. It was okay, but it wasn't a patch on the old one. Uh, I agree. But then I'm a Twilight Zone fan, and I just, some things I think are just fine. I feel like the um, way they are. Jordan Peele inserted himself too much into the Twilight Zone stuff. I feel like that's kind of a snotty thing to say, but I know what you mean. Yeah, I'm being snotty. I mean, I know if you've watched enough Jordan Peele and you understand where he's coming from, 100%. Like no one, he doesn't need anyone's approval or permission to make it known in his storytelling about like the scourge of racism in humanity. Like that's what it's about. And like the ugliness of it and like the normalcy of it and how he shows us things we don't even think about as racism. And then you're like, oh God, we're just, we're just terrible. We're terrible, right? That's part of what his messaging is in his storytelling. I have no problem with that. Me neither. But, yes, I have a thing about when a filmmaker basically just is all about, I'm going to use this film as a tool to tell my thing. I guess I shouldn't have a problem with that. Can I give you an example? Yeah. Spike Lee. I don't feel that from Spike Lee the way you do. I understand what he's going for, too. It's... It's not as, it doesn't bug me as much as it I tend to like Spike Lee's movies up to a certain point. And then I'm like, oh, don't do that. Right, but some would say, and analyzing your reaction, that it's because it makes you uncomfortable. It does not at all. It just makes me, well, it actually does because it's so out of place a lot of the time. The movie's trundling along as it is, you know, and then somebody like delivers a weird speech that you're like, where did that come from? The rest right, of the but movie. that's part of the method as well. Like, I'm entertaining you, da-da-da-da-da. I'm yeah. giving you this song and dance as a movie, and I'm going to tell you this thing. Again, I have, like, this line that gets crossed with, and it's not about messaging about necessarily just racism or sexism or Can be wokeism or whatever. Even in this movie today, as we are talking about Nope, we're not talking about all this other stuff, but we're talking about Nope, and in this film... He's also commenting on one of the big messages is humans need to show off and make a spectacle or see a spectacle at the cost of anything and to be seen and be the center of attention or, you know, this sort of hubris thing that's really central to the film. And of course, that's him after he's discovered this idea, injecting that big time into his film. But then what are stories for, right? They're to tell us about ourselves. And so I guess... I need to rethink why um, why it could bother me when someone's doing their own personal messaging because then I have to go back to every other movie I've ever watched and there's going to be something in every story that's selling me on an idea one way or another. 
where Nope differs from the others is we came out of this movie, looked at each other and said, what exactly is the message here? <laughs> yeah. Expecting a message. Like we'd been programmed to expect a message. From Jordan Peele is what you're talking from about. From Jordan Peele. Yeah. We looked at each other and said, is there a deep message that we've missed? <laughs> because I see some of the surface messaging, but I don't see like a big thing that ties it all together. So then, you know, you go and have a look at some interviews with Jordan Peele, etc., and this movie uh, kind of operates on the, there isn't a giant message. He's just making a cool I'm movie. I'm making a cool movie, yeah. Which We're just totally fair. He's subverting your expectations. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Damn him. <laughs> Damn him for doing a thing that I'm not expecting. No, I'm, I'm not a, saying I'm that, like a Truman Show. I'm on a loop. I need it to be the same all the time. I'm not saying that it doesn't have some messaging in it, because it clearly does. It mentions, like, black cinema... It mentions things. It doesn't mention black cinema. It mentions that the first guy who was on the little film of a jockey on a horse that was a, a series of photographs put together to make like the first motion picture. That's true as well. I looked right. And that in our characters in the movie, it was their great, great, great grandfather. And that's part of when they do their show and they explain to everybody why they now have this Hollywood horse company where they rent out horses to movies and stuff. The rest of the movie essentially is on this ranch. And it's a series of we're trying to get a picture or some clear video of this UFO to make us, you know, to be famous or something, to make a load of money out of it, these, these family are thinking. Hilarity ensues. That's mm, not about hilarity. Not much hilarity, no. So uh, what did you like about it? I really like the way it looks. It's gorgeous. I really like the characters because I was interested in, like, the dynamic between the sister and the brother, because there's a little bit of strain there. The father's now died. The brother's taken over the business, blah, blah, blah. And the girl, you know, she's the woman. She's sort of like a wild um, one man show. She has all these different careers going on. You know, she's the big talker in front of the crew whenever they go to like sell their business to people. So I really and he's really quiet and really like reserved. They're not two dimensional because I get who they are almost immediately. I cared almost immediately what was going to happen to them. I even liked the guy from Fry's, the discount electronics store. Angel. Yes. And the film guy, couldn't care less. TMZ guy, of course, was nothing. But I just really liked how they very straight up told the story of the people with very little information while also not making them super boring. Yeah, they're not... And I always love an alien story. I, this is what I said before. I love anything to do with alien or the potential for alien or science fiction or anything like that. Always. I mean, I'm on board for zombies and uh, sci-fi. Good or bad. I'm in. I'm on. But often you don't like a story that doesn't provide answers. Not true. You've said that before. That's very specifically when I think that they're lazy in their storytelling and they're not telling you just because they think it's cool. I think that's stupid. And so, yeah, I want to have, if you're telling me a story and it depends on different bits of information about the characters or the happenings or the origins of what's going on, like what started the trajectory and how will this story end essentially or where are we going with it? If you skip any of that because you think you're too cool for school and like, oh, <laughs> We're just going to go to a black screen at the end and wink, wink. If you can't figure it out, you're intellectually stunted. Like, yeah, I think that's bullshit. I don't mind a mystery. I don't mind that in this one, we don't know what our thing is necessarily. 
I mean, we never do, right? No. And I accept that fully because of the way that it's told and put into the story. See, that's the hook right there, is that if you do it in a way that makes sense in the whole of it, I'm I'm totally on board. If you do it because you're lazy or you can't think of an ending, or you want people to discuss it and be like all up in arms about it on the internet, well, then all that's just ugh, gross. This has an element of that, though, because it leaves out a lot of details. I was thinking if they did explain what it was and exactly what it was, and I don't know if that would be more satisfying. Do you know, like 10 Cloverfield Lane at the end, you kind of see what's happening when it pulls out and like you're like, oh, shit, this happening. There's a lot of this happening. This movie could do that too, right? But it decides not to. It's just an individual thing as far as we know, right? There could be one in every neighborhood for all you know. None of that even occurs to me. So the diff- what you were saying that I don't like a non-explanation is not correct. Because I was like, right. So for these two people in this situation, out on this place, this makes total sense. That it's weird. That's it. I don't need to, like, my brain wasn't even, like, looking forward to the moment when it's all revealed. None of that was going on in my head. And whatever this thing is, it's disguising itself as a cloud? Is that... Is that correct? Mm, I think it's hiding in a cloud that it just makes the cloud not move. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what gives it away because they keep looking and they're like, that cloud's just always there. It never moves. It it just sits there. And what this thing is doing, whatever this thing is, is sucking up. It's eating, right? It's feeding off the earth. Well, so it's feeding it, off of his horses. Horses is what it's feeding. It's decided to camp over a horse ranch because it can take horses. That's not the smartest move if you're that thing, because how many horses could you possibly have if you keep eating them? You yeah, know? and we don't we don't know what its ability to actually think, if it's cognitive <laughs> of anything. But what we do find out later is that the dude who owns the little tourist attraction across the way, like down in the valley, who has like a horse show, sort of like a Wild Bill Hickok show, but it's got their little stores and, you know, it's a whole little adventure place for families to go to. What we find out later is that For some time, this guy has noticed the pattern. He's seen this thing too. He's noticed the timing of it. He then has been sending out a horse. We can uh, infer from his little speech that we find. Yeah. He has been, you know, baiting it with a horse thinking, ah, look at this show that I can do. So he's been experimenting, like getting it to show up, eat a horse and then go away. And now he's going to turn that into his show and make people pay to come see it. So at least it's getting some food behind the scenes that we don't know about. Yeah, that's true. He's, yeah, because he relies on it, basically, doesn't he, to keep the crowds coming. We're seeing him talk about it the first time he's talking about it to anyone. I think he's been testing it out. You know what I mean? I didn't get the feeling that he's been showing this to people. Otherwise, lots of people would be there, right? (laughs) I think he's been practicing this. And now this, the night that we see it, it's like he's, he's now telling everybody about it. And this movie also has this subplot with a sitcom with a a chimpanzee. Is it a chimpanzee or a monkey? I don't know if it's a plot. It's like a... It's a subplot. Is it? I just figured it was a background story for Glenn, Glenn from Walking Dead, but that it didn't really do anything other than tell me about a wild animal in an environment where they're being used for entertainment and they go a little bit crazy. A little bit. That's what you're talking about, like... A subplot, but it's just a reminder. So the deal is he was a child in a sitcom. They had a chimpanzee. Chimpanzee went crazy and uh, mutilated 
someone. I don't know if he ended up killing the guy. But we're reminded of this story multiple times in this very interesting way where we're actually going back to the set of this colorful, funny little sitcom from the 90s with a chimpanzee with bloodied hands and a bloodied mouth, you know, because he's gone crazy and chewed on somebody's face. And so that's just a reminder about nature and how we try to rein it in for our own entertainment. I think that's what I was getting from that little feed. That part, I think, was to inject the horror. Because there is no gore or anything like that in this movie, right? Mm-mm. Apart from that chimpanzee part. True, true. Where it gets a bit bloody. So it is horror, but it's more sci-fi. And there are some, like, when we see some people being eaten, let's say, it's more the noises that they make is the horror part. I think it was just chewing on her face, and then we see her later, like, she I mean, survived. inside the balloon thing. Oh, yeah, true. We see some people, it, eat some people, let's say, And uh, it's not really gore. It's just the noises of them being... Digested. Yeah. And this movie does have really awesome sound. It was one of the stars of the show, I thought. Yeah, it it sounded really good. It has really, like, crazy surround sound. And a lot of the movie is people not saying anything and just the noise of the thing above them making weird noises. Sometimes you can hear voices coming from it. Sometimes you can hear the sound of a... Horse just making a noise. I think it's people screaming because they're being digested. Exactly. (laughs) In fact, the movie starts the opening credits where it says nope, and it's zooming in. You don't know what it is at that point, but you're actually zooming into the mouth of the thing. Mm, Yeah. And you can hear people screaming and making noises, and you're like, I don't know what this is at this point, but this seems terrifying. And then the movie goes underway. I thought the special effects were exceptionally good also did you like the special effects uh sometimes i mean it's seems... the weakest thing for me but if it was intentional that this creature didn't look organic at all if that was part of the part of the thing then that's fine but it just it didn't convince me at all that it I mean, was a creature it's something you haven't seen before it just looks like a giant kite yeah looks like a big balloon that's popped and like literally the cloth looks like a big balloon that's popped and so i was kind of like but then it can also like transform itself into this like saucer shape yeah and the big floaty like jellyfish looking part of it i love that and it moves very awkwardly like it kind of flits around like and it's kind of unpredictable i would say the way it moves definitely So if you're on the ground and you're like, oh, shit, it's going to get me, it's hard to know where it's coming from. Uh, I like the special effects. I thought the cinematography in general was like a step up from what he normally does. Like, it was really, like, epic grand scale. When the horse is running down, there's a, a thing later on in the movie where he's galloping on the horse, really. It's almost like a drone shot, but it's not because it's not high enough, I guess. It's like a... I bet it's one of those cars with the crane camera on top of it, you know? Mm. But there's a lot of, like, really cool tracking shots. Nothing gets lost in the... There's no shaky cam or anything. It's just smooth looking, and you always know what you're looking at, which I really liked. So let's get on to the cast. Daniel. Well, actually, before we get on to the cast, if there's one thing I didn't like about the movie, it was the ending just kind of ended. Hmm. It felt like it was building up to some giant thing, but it didn't really end on a giant thing, did I it? I catch what you're saying. Yeah. It's almost like the the uh, journey is better than the destination. 
And I will say that for the movie Die Hard, which is really cool and action-packed. And then the ending comes down to my worst ending ever where somebody falls from something. Spoiler. Yeah. Yeah, spoiler for a how many years old? 30-year-old movie, maybe? It's an oldie bit of goodie. But this movie also is seems like it's getting to something and then it just goes out with a bang kind of thing. But, I mean, it's like a whimper. And then it's over. I wasn't expecting, like, a message or anything. I don't know. It's just kind of... It's unexplained still, which I get, because it is a UFO-type thing. But that's it. It's over. You saw a spectacle... And that's what he was going for, so I'll give him that. So moving on to the cast, Daniel Kalua, who's a regular with Mr. Jordan, and he played O.J. Haywood. What did you think of him? That was really good. I love how subtle he is. He's just the quiet guy. You know what I mean? There's never a moment when he goes all full action hero or anything like that. He's just constantly observing and going like, okay... Okay, so this is what's going on. <laughs> and he's okay. also grieving, so... He's grieving his father, yeah. and but his whole vibe is never like, dun-da-da, here I am, saving the day. It's nothing, none of that, which I liked. Yeah, his whole vibe is the opposite to his sister, played by Kiki Palmer, Emerald Haywood. And she's like a showboat, like she's... Yeah. She's all in. She, in fact, the relationship's explained perfectly at the beginning when... He's waiting on the film set and the film people ask him to explain something and he's kind of just like quiet under his breath. And then she arrives and just does this delivery that's amazing, like you would, you know, she's the opposite. So what did you think of her? No, I loved her. I loved everybody, actually. I think everybody was exactly the person they needed to be for their role. I enjoyed her. And usually I'm not into the big over-the-top, look at me people, but I really, I liked her. Brandon Pereira plays Angel Therese and he's like the tech guy. I thought his character was really interesting because... It was really fun. <laughs> they go to Fry's Electronics, the actual Fry's Electronics, to get some cameras to put on top of their houses. And he's like the, like the geek squad guy. Mm -hmm. He comes to their house and sets them up. But he so so happens to be really into like UFOs and stuff. The conspiracy theory stuff. And he yeah. puts himself basically as free technical support and he becomes their camera person. And it's just a really interesting because it's it doesn't even seem like a friendship. It they, he just ends up with them. Exactly. Because at first they're kind of like, yeah, okay, bye. And, but then he's just there. And eventually, you know, they all grow to like each other. I've also got Michael Wincott as the film director Antlers Holst. They also brought in this big film director. That's who he was supposed to be. And for a series of events, he comes with his big IMAX camera to also take pictures of the Is it an IMAX camera? Yeah. It said IMAX on the side of it. Oh, because it's like hand-cranked. Hand-cranked IMAX it was. It actually had IMAX hmm. written on it. Right. So he was trying to get the best possible shot of it. And then we have a TMZ guy who shows up on a motorcycle who's just desperate to get film, like in a sleazy, very, what's it called? He's on an electric bike. Who are bike. the people? Paparazzi kind of a way, right? He just wants to get, he wants to figure out what's going on out here because some somebody's leaked out some weird shit's going on out here. So he's super obnoxious. He's like, he's broken. His arms are all broken. He's half dead on the road. And he's like, where's my camera? Where's my camera? You can't do this without 
getting a shot of it, right? So it's really obnoxious. The snotty film director guy who's like using the hand cranked film thing and he's watching all these old black and white cinematic things, which I learned about in film class in college. Like that's the sort of like the what do you call like intellectual? Yes, the intellectual people love to go back to that kind of shit. So that's him. But in the end, when he is faced with being eaten up, sucked up by this creature. He also needs to have his camera in his hand like, we don't deserve the perfect shot. And he's cranking away as he gets devoured. So there is a big commentary on that. I love that. In fact, that's just the main crux of the film, isn't it? That we will do anything to get a big spectacle Mm. and we can look at it. Anything like these people, all these people on here. Uh, Stephen Yon plays Ricky Park and he... We talked about him earlier. He's from The Walking Dead. You might know him. He's The Walking Dead. Huh? He's Glenn. Yeah, he's Glenn. You might know him. It wasn't good. It didn't end well for him, let's say. (laughs) (laughs) He was also in that really cool movie. Does it ever? (laughs) No, well, the the movie Minari that we watched with him in was very good. Mm -hmm. I like that one. So what did you think of him here? That was really good because he's the grown-up child star. Because he was a... uh, Apparently he was like uh, in what looked like an old Western movie as a kid. And then he became like the Asian kid sheriff from an old movie, like from the nineties. <laughs> right. And now he owns this sort of like sideshow situation with the horses and the little fun fair and whatnot. You can tell he's kind of desperate, but he doesn't come off as Mr. You know, twirl the mustache kind of desperate. So I like that. I like that. He was a little bit different. I love when he came out <laughs> and was parked all across the way. And they had stolen one of his big plastic horses that he has sitting out for display. She steals one of his big life-size horses as a, like, bait Decoy. for this creature to come and suck it up. And, you know, because they're still figuring out what's going on. He pulls up on the edge of their ranch and she's like, no, 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 you can stay over there. And he's like, uh, see, you got a horse there. Where'd you get it? And as he's asking her, she's like, where'd you get your horses? And he's like, <laughs> I don't know. And she's like, yeah, see, we don't know. And there's this big, long yelling conversation across the, like a long way. It's like a quarter of a mile or something. And I thought that was really fun. I don't, really think, fun. don't think we mentioned that a lot of comedy in the, especially the front half of this mm-hmm. movie. There's a lot of very funny back and forth between people. And I didn't expect that because I thought it was going to be very serious and I haven't actually seen a trailer for this movie, did you? Yes. I never saw the trailer, so I don't know where you saw it. I don't either. No. Maybe you saw it because you were watching a YouTube video and you had to watch an ad. No, I don't watch ads on YouTube. <laughs> I'm not that person. <laughs> My patients do not allow me to watch ads on the YouTubes. And finally, Keith David as Otis Hayward Sr. He's not in it for very long. But if you like Keith David, he does his Keith David thing. I wish he was in it more because I do like Keith. Yeah. Directed by Jordan Peele, Get Out, Us. He was also, you know, um, he's a comedian, mainly. He was in Fargo. He had a TV show. Key and Peele, you remember that? No. Well, you know, the guy he appeared in Fargo with, the big tall ball guy. They're a double act, those two. Mm. So uh, what do you think of Jordan? I think, personally, that is the the cinematography, the directing, everything seemed better here. Hmm. Like he, I don't know. You mean technically? Technically, yeah. yeah. It it was a lot, this movie, I think, to pull off. Because it was a lot of, like, grand stuff. Very grand, epic, like, sweeping vistas, like. Yeah. And, you know, dealing with crazy special effects. And apparently, I was just reading in the trivia for this movie, 
The whole thing was filmed in the daytime, and there are many scenes that take place at night, so they were doing that day-for-night thing, which is also technically very difficult, I'm assuming. Because I mean, he's a filmmaker, so we're going to give him a little bit of expectations there. (laughs) Day-to-night, apparently, is hard because shadows don't work correctly in the daytime. They don't look... Unless... Unless you, you produce can. the right kind of light. And he's he's an expert, so he's probably figured it out. Don't go in with like preconceptions because that's what kind of threw me off kilter at the end when I was trying to figure out what what the message was. Just leave that at the door and go in and enjoy a big, you know, spectacle movie, which is what it is. IMDB reviews, what are those? Well, it's people going on a website and uh, giving their opinion, which is so obnoxious. <laughs> And uh, so you, you like to go find the people who take the time to write the one sentence, often one sentence, or we won't call them all sentences, one star reviews that are hilarious. All right. The first guy who doesn't like this, his title is Close Encounters of the Turd Kind. Right. Okay. Okay. I'm with you. (laughs) He says the plot is disjointed and repetitive with many scenes making very little sense. The pacing is so slow and the characters are hugely irritating. Everybody in this was awful. This is something to do with a cheap chimpanzee and a floating shoe. What does that even mean? There is a floating shoe. Well, a shoe that stood up. Yeah. I didn't quite grasp that one either. You have to go a little bit uh, Paul Thomas Anderson with the uh, coincidences in Magnolia and just be like, whatever, you know, just have to let it go. The frogs falling, all that stuff. Like you got to put your brain in that little category sometimes. This guy says, why did OJ and Emerald speak like they were from the inner city when they were born and raised in the country? They even said they were. Would Emerald really be into the Jesus lizard? That's on her t-shirt. No way she would. Why are people such dickheads? Seriously. What are you even talking about? And then he says, I was bored out of my skull for over two hours. I would not watch this again. Nope. Nope. Look, see, they had to be clever there at the end. This one says, the second one, it's a near impossible watch. Apart from the hour-long meandering and the pointless setup, the biggest sin is it has painfully boring plots and subplots. It's about a UFO that eats people and hides in a cloud. Also, don't you make eye contact with it. And it won't eat you for whatever reason. Also, it eats statues and trash without eyes because those are the rules of this hungry spaceship. <laughs> I wouldn't watch this again. That's what the first Well, that's one. fair. I mean, I'm not going to watch it again either, but that doesn't mean I don't like it. And the last guy says, I know Jordan Peele wants to write, direct, and produce his own movies and appear like he's a freaking genius, but the writing is horrible here. If he keeps doing this, he'll end up like Spike Lee making long movies with lame dialogues that go nowhere. Some of this is so over the top and so unrealistic. Like the guy they brought the, bought the security system from. He's the only cashier in Fry's and ends up taking a van to do the install himself. That would never happen. Then he shows pictures of his girlfriend and talks about his private life to a customer. He would never do that either. Oh, and the same guy remotely monitors cameras. All this from a guy who works at Fry's. Why is this why is it implausible? Like... I think this guy works at Fry's and he's like, I don't know anybody like that. Right. But it's clear that when the boss walks by and this guy's still at his thing and the boss kind of looks at him like, whatever, like there's a clear, I'm not saying it's all hundred percent like the way it would go down in reality, but I think some guy whose girlfriend just broke up with him, which is what his story is. And he's a conspiracy guy. 
kind of lives like a kid almost when we get to see his apartment. It's very, very bachelor-esque, right? Yep. That he would not give a shit enough about his job to be like, fuck it, I'm taking the van and I'm taking a bunch of stuff out to these people's house because they might have a real fucking UFO, man. Like, I feel like that's still, he doesn't care if he gets fired. Is this person concerned that our character cares about being fired because that's the only thing holding most people back from like <laughs> taking the company van, right? To like their own thing. So I thought it was totally fine. I like that guy. Interestingly, Fries went bankrupt during the COVID oh situation. My God. So what they did, because Fries was not open, they got it was closed, um, bankrupt closed. They hired the the actual Fries location and then stocked it with stock from another store. So, you know, to do those scenes. Right. Because uh, that is a very particular Fries that they're looking at. It's the one with the UFO crashed into the front of it. Did you notice that? No. In the actual front of the store has a UFO embedded into it. Oh, like no, it, I didn't see Like that. it's crashed through the... And <laughs> it's the one that somebody I watch on YouTube goes to, used to go to, to get Blu-rays on a Tuesday, if you know oh, what I'm saying. Oh, right, yeah. So it's very specific. So those are the people on IMDb who didn't like it. We didn't see any extras because we watched the streaming version. As I said earlier, the Blu-ray comes out at the end of October. Let's give this uh, movie a score. I'm going to give Nope a 7 out of 10. Mm, I'm going for 8 because for the experience of it and the quality that I was experiencing, everything is subjective. Don't forget this, people. I'm not telling you that it's an 8 in your brain. It is for me because the whole of it was like one of my favorite movie watching experiences so far of the year. And we're into October now. So that's saying a lot that I felt it, you know, like sitting there comfy. I'm totally immersed in it. I'm laughing. I'm interested. I'm looking at every corner of the screen. I mean, those are things that that make me feel the high quality of a movie. And so I'm giving it an eight. Very nice. Yeah. Let's carry on with the Halloween um, horror slash sci-fi theme next week by reviewing The Black Phone. We'll look at that next week. Uh-huh. Do you know that one? I don't. Well, you will next week. Movie recommendations. I am going with Close Encounters of the Third Kind. The best UFO movie out of all of them, right? Is that mm, true? I don't know if that's true. It's true in my <laughs> mind. And my second one is a film that I don't know if tons of people have seen. It's called Skyline. It's also a UFO movie. And it's a bit crazy. The ending of it is particularly crazy. It's not something you'd expect. Have I seen it? Skyline, yeah, you really liked it. It's kind of a low budget. Is it, it's like I don't know my own past. Um, you, you don't, but you kind of like it. Skyline. Skyline, yeah. It's a UFO movie. It came out okay. like 10 years ago, probably. Look it up on IMDb. It'll jog your memory. <laughs> and while you do that, what are your recommendations? My recommendations are coming back from 1996, I do believe. I mean, I haven't looked what the year I'm in. I'm going back to the 90s. So I'm up to like 96-ish. Oh, yes, 96. And they are, it's random. I'm not picking this based on quality or anything like that. Flirting with Disaster, which is where I first, I first saw, I think, Taya Leone, who was married to Dave Duchovny. I don't know if they still are. Nope. Primal Fear, which was Ed being creepy. Yeah. Jane's and the Giant Peach, which is really sweet, and I loved it. The Truth About Cats and Dogs, which is Janine Garofalo. I think that's her last name. She was a comedian back in the 80s, 90s. 
She probably still is a comedian. I don't know. And then there's the beloved ever picked on Twister, which I saw multiple times, actually, in the theater. And we watched it like a while ago. It was just on TV and we sat and watched the whole thing. <laughs> Remember, it was on like um, a late night. We were watching one of the free streaming services. I don't that- think we saw all of it. We caught up right when they're going to the aunt's house, maybe. And we did watch. Yeah. Yeah. Substantial amount of it. Why is it picked on? Well, because it's really dumb. And the thing where they're hanging on the belt and they're flying in the thing and then they kiss and it's just really dumb. I mean, it's it's got all the tropes of a very shallow 90s. The characters are over the top. Of course, it has your Hoffman dude in it who you love very much, who is now deceased. Uh-huh. Um, remember? Yep, I do. It's just like it's over the top with the characterizations. It's got a little over the top with the action and the, the bad guy. Obviously... <laughs> What I would even make fun of it is, in the end, the two, the hero and the heroine, hang themselves together, like, hang themselves. They tie themselves with a belt thing, and they hang from a well in the middle of the tornado, sucking them up, and then they fall. Then they kiss, and it's like, oh. Well, just before that, Princess Bride guy and his whole team are sucked up in the fucking tornado. Like, they're all probably dead. But in the end, it's like a very 90s thing. Like, when volcano movies happened, and millions of people died, and Independence Day and Armageddon... At the end, everybody's like, hey, wink, wink. Good job, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> so that's an easy thing to pick up. It's like somebody figured out how to do like special effects. And now we can finally do this crazy stuff. True. We- the 90s were, yeah, we were right on the start of all that. Yeah, there was so many back to back. Like, let's do the biggest thing we can possibly do because now we can do it. Do we still do that? I guess we do. We just watched Nope. That was pretty big, too. True. All right, so Ace Gully stuff. I have been playing a game called Ghostwire Tokyo. You bought me this for my birthday, actually. You didn't remember. You're welcome. You didn't remember. I didn't. I don't. Um, I you, do now because you've told me. But I finished it yesterday. You said you're not really that into it. I wasn't really. I mean, it looks gorgeous, and I understand the premise. You told me all about it as you played multiple hours. But it wasn't one of those... A few games that you play, I can sit down and watch it like I'm watching a movie with you playing it through. This was just, I just didn't hold my attention at all. I would say you'd like, not you, but if you're a gamer who likes games where you have to collect things. Mm. Remember Crackdown where you just had to jump around and find all those orbs? I love that kind of thing. Well, this one, you can take Crackdown and multiply it by about 10, and there's, that's the amount of things there is to collect in this game. Mm. There's a thing everywhere for you to collect. There's several different things you've got to collect a whole set of. And then there's action-based, you know, minute-to-minute combat with ghosts. You're fighting ghosts, so you're using, like, um, your powers, which come out of your hands. You've got wind, water, and fire. And what they equate to if you were playing a shooter is wind is like you're shooting a pistol. Uh, Water is like a shotgun and fire is like a rocket launcher. And you've got limited ammo in each one and you have to survive little encounters. There are boss fights, but the main thing of it is if you, if you don't like collecting things, you're not going to like it because you're, (laughs) because it's, it's like a wild goose chase. It's like, Hey, why don't you find a thousand ghosts they might be anywhere in this thing they're on the top of roofs they're down dark alleys they're inside houses but go wild and find them all (laughs) and until you've found them all you don't get the trophy you know what i mean so it's like it's not like you can just do a few of them and then you 
end up having to do all of them. So if you like collectathons, this is your game. It is gorgeous. It's a PS5 game. The special effects, you know, the particle effects when you throw in the fire at people. Yeah, it's and very stuff. nice looking. Yeah, it is really gorgeous. It's it's always raining in Tokyo in this game, so it's very shiny. There's like a lot of puddles and reflections. I also found after finishing it that the story, it's a Japanese game, is quite nonsensical. There's a lot of parts that I didn't get. And I think a lot of it's down to like Japanese folklore and things that I just I'm not understanding fully. But there is like a simple story on top of that, but I don't think I got the whole story because I didn't understand it all. So that's Ghostwire Tokyo. I might sound like I didn't like it, but I actually did really like it. And I'm still playing it because I've got to collect all those ghosts. You're a little, uh, co- yeah, collect crazy for sure. Yeah. So Sito, what's for dinner? Tonight, we're going to have a homemade dinner. Because last night we had the pizza from the mod and it was delicious. Not sponsored by anyone. But hey, if anyone wants to sponsor us, let us know. Free food for the rest of my life. I'm 54, so it's not like you're in for like, you know, hundreds of more years or anything. <laughs> Think about it. Big corporate sponsors. Tonight we're going to have a homemade tofu scramble. And the reason we're telling you what we're eating is because we're vegetarian. And people seem to think that when you're vegetarian, you are also an animal rights activist. You are a vegan. We are not. Vegan is a thing, a different thing. Vegetarian for us just means we don't eat the meat. We do dairy, eggs, whatnot. It is not an animal rights situation. You know what, though? We barely eat eggs. You're right. And we barely eat cheese anymore. I didn't even buy cheese for these tofu scramble wraps. I can't remember the last time I ate an egg, to be fair. It's been a while. (laughs) I mean, they're in things, right? So we're not vegan. Vegan is a lifestyle where you choose to try your very, very best not to exploit the use of living creatures, as in bugs, worms, animals, birds, fish, etc., for your benefit. You can like it or hate it. I don't give a shit. But that's the premise of veganism. It's not just a diet. We are not that. Although the more you kind of explore the idea of not consuming dead animals, <laughs> the more you're like, I, I'm fine. I'm fine with not eating animals anymore. Still contributing to the whole of the industry. I get it. But that's it. So we don't just eat lettuce and raw carrots and we eat anything that isn't an animal. I mean, it's very simple. And so tonight it's a tofu scramble with carrots and tomato and rice. I cooked some perfect rice earlier, by the way. And uh, one of my homegrown tomatoes and some sour cream. See, there's some dairy for you. So that's what's for supper. And what's your advice? And let, Your advice is very long today. It is a long one. I'll just read it as it says it. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to use technology for the betterment of your life and future generations, because a lot of people hate technology. I think they're not using it correctly. So all you need to do is have the people that you know and love. It doesn't matter what age. It could be a 10-year-old, a 12-year-old, a 7-year-old. Send you a text or an email or do a little video recording or an audio recording of them telling you a story about something from their life. Or they can type out a recipe that they learned from their grandma, grandma, grandma. Or they can tell you the story of how their grandpa did a thing. Just They can type it up or have someone type it up for you, send it to you in a text message or in an email, and then you have it. You can print it, put it in a book, you can save it in the cloud, whatever you want. But it is a way to use technology without intruding. You know, it used to be you have to get like a video recorder and like take it to somebody's house and sit in front of them with my grandma, my great-grandparents, and some of my great 
aunts and uncles did cassette recordings because it had cousins twice removed from earlier generations who were into that. So they'd put the tape recorder right in front of them, record them talking. My grandma carried a tape recorder. So you may not know what this is if you're very young, but it's about the size of like a shoebox with a cassette tape in it. And you could get, you know, the hour long ones or whatever, had a little handle that slid in and out of the end and buttons on it. So you record what you just push record and it has a little microphone built in. My grandma carried one of these around with her out in some fields once with a cousin of hers talking to it. And without photographs, it doesn't always make sense. <laughs> but she'll say like, and over there is where the outhouse was. And over here was where, you know, the sidewalk, whatever. And you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. But it was a nice thought, right? <laughs> that she was out there explaining things and recording it. So use technology for that. Or just have them write it down and send you a letter if you're still afraid of technology. But save the people, save stories and stuff. That's the point here. Well done. Thanks. Good work. AceGully.com is the website you can go to to get this podcast. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We're also on anchor.fm slash after the show, Spotify, iTunes, Amazon Music, anywhere where podcasts are available. Anywhere, sit up. There's anywhere. nowhere. On any planet. Yes. You can email feedback to me, ascully at ascully.com. Don't email SidTalk at whatever her address is. No. Nope. Nope. Stay classy, Mr. Jordan Peele. Nope. And I'm going to say, think for yourself, or people will do it for you. <laughs>